Welcome, everyone, to today's podcast, What's Your Delta, MGH Institute's Three Tips for Faculty Development, with your host, Janice Palaganis, who is the Associate Professor of Health Professions Education and the Associate Director of the PhD Program in Health Professions Education, along with Peter Kahn, the Associate Provost for Academic Affairs at the MGH Institute of Health Professions. Welcome to What's Your Delta, MGH Institute's three tips for faculty development, although today, again, we're not going to be doing three tips. Um, we should call this like the COVID series or something, Peter. I can squeeze <laughs> it into three tips. You oh, underestimate you three tips? Okay, okay. Okay, maybe it, it may or may not be three tips. Let's hope for three tips. Um, really, what I'd like to do is take this opportunity to pick your brain, Peter, um, and understand what it's like to be a university leader, um, because I think that's another type of unsung hero in, in today's world um, during this pandemic. There's so much going on at your level and, uh, you know, just seeing from all the town halls and the updates that we're getting on email, I feel like you must be working around the clock, <laughs> like just not getting any sleep. And um, we have tons of students and we've got lots of faculty and I think it's, it's great. And, and I'm definitely interested in hearing what it's like and what you're thinking about and how we'll get through this. So what is, what, what is your typical day like? <laughs> Well, we're, we're still not far enough into the crisis that all the previously scheduled meetings have evaporated. So there are uh, faculty promotions that need to get reviewed and recommended. And we're in annual evaluation season and working with supervisors on how do you calibrate and create equitable evaluations for annual performance reviews. So all of that it continues and sometimes it feels like, oh, this is going to give people a break from thinking about the virus, they'll be happy. And then thinking, oh no, they're not gonna pay any attention because they're in virus mode the whole time. But so those events continue or sprinkled throughout the calendar. And then there's the structure of COVID response. And at the MGH Institute, I'm on the academic affairs side and we have created a structure for regular meetings to direct the academic response. There's a, a parallel structure that handles the administrative and financial end of things. And then of course, those two have to get tied together. So it's a series of uh, continuing meetings, working on an evolving agenda that gets refined in between meetings and then shared again, and then have all the different subgroups come together and share what they've decided. And then finally, you have to push all this information out to people beyond your meeting group so that they receive the guidance. Well, well. so what are your top worries right now? Uh, it started, our, our top worry, I'm thinking chronologically, so it's been about um, at least a month mm -hmm. now since the Institute and the rest of higher education in the United States, at least on our timeline, has gone to virtual learning, remote learning. And at first it was protecting graduation plans for all the students who were scheduled to finish in May or June. 
Mm-hmm. And we have some cohorts at the Institute. We have multiple start times throughout the year and then consequently multiple finish times. So even though graduation tends to happen in May, only, only two programs in a, a normal year would, would actually finish then. But thinking of that whole summer group, how can we keep them on track? Because you don't want them to incur more expenses, more delay. You want to make sure they're, they're finished. And luckily, we're such an overachieving institute that most of our students have more hours of clinical practice and more credits than they need to by their accreditation standards. Mm-hmm. So I think with the exception of um, physician assistant studies students, we're able to guarantee that everyone would graduate. The way PA education works is, is the medical school model. So you have these, these five-week rotations where it's all clinical. Mm-hmm. And given where this fell in the semester, they had another rotation to go before graduation. And that was very difficult to recreate. And we're still trying to be creative about how they can achieve those goals. So most of them graduate on time. And how are, like, how, the PA being an example, how are the accreditation organizations working with universities at this point? And initially, some were more flexible than others. And PA is an example of one that has become more accommodating as the crisis continues. Mm. And I'm not sure what pushback they got from their members, uh, but it, it became clear that adhering to a standard of hours rather than competencies was going to mean that thousands of PA students across the country were gonna have to delay their graduation and therefore there'd be fewer PAs in the workforce to respond to this and other crises. So they have now allowed clinical hours to be replaced with clinical competencies. So even if you don't have the full five-week rotation in pediatrics that they normally require, if you can demonstrate you've met the objectives of that rotation through some assessment, and we have some good uh, online tools for performing OSCEs and other standardized uh, assessments, then that's uh, equivalent. Uh, And now the PA and other creditors are saying you can replace direct patient care with simulation to meet those same goals. Wow. Wow, so it's interesting because the necessity increases as time increases. I mean, clearly, you know. It does. And in some respects, Janice, they're being more flexible, which is great and and very very much a relief for the students. But it doesn't mean it's any easier for the faculty. I think of speech-language pathology has allowed more telepractice to substitute for direct client hours. Uh, but it has to be supervised. So that just means that your faculty member or your, your licensed clinician has to be in every, before they could supervise, say, we had uh, on-site treatment rooms and a faculty member could be in the control room and could be observing maybe multiple students at once. And then, But you can't do that for telepractice. They have to be sort of in the session with them. And so that's meant that faculty time uh, is being used more heavily, even as we've gotten more flexibility. Well, so interesting because, you know, I'm seeing lots of publications now around the, um, 
the impact this is going to make on higher education and how, you know, many students are grow, uh, are graduating with um, uh, high student loan debt and that this will decrease um, tuition fees. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, these are people that really don't understand online learning because <laughs> I spend more time in my online courses than I do in person. Um, and you probably don't have a hundred <laughs> students in your online course, which and I don't know. And now we're sort of poof converting these hundred hundred student cohorts into hundred student online courses, which is not good practice. And and so it means you need more faculty, more teaching uh -huh. assistants, a lot of ways to break it up. Um, uh, but you know that being said, I'm sure tuition will go down with other things uh, like, you know, books and living expenses or different, you know, Well, I, I wouldn't say that when I look at higher ed across the country, there's almost no institution that's lowered tuition. What you're seeing is refund of room and board. Oh, I'm thinking, sorry, I meant student loan debt versus tuition. Because um, I know at least my student loans also included a lot of the outside tuition costs. Oh, right, the total cost of attendance. And we are seeing at the federal level uh, a strong appetite for, for pausing or ultimately forgiving student loan repayment. Mm -hmm. I think there'll be more push for that as this crisis continues. So what else, what else do you worry about? So I worry about faculty. I worry about their ability to deliver education online. I worry about their ability to maintain all the facets of their role, which includes scholarship and service, and mm -hmm. some of them have administrative responsibilities too. That's getting uh, challenged, or I should say subsumed by the teaching mandate, which is just so overwhelming for them right now. So true, and I feel like I could probably speak to the uh, you know, this micro level of the individual faculty um, being that my roles, uh, a lot of my role is faculty development. It, it's interesting because I feel like my life in terms of academic, uh, you know, my academic roles have, it hasn't changed that much because I do a lot of online education. I do a lot of hybrid. So in many ways, my role hasn't changed that much yet. My workload has probably quadrupled <laughs> with the pandemic, um, not so much because of my own, you know, what I'm doing, but because, you know, I was a single source of, of a line of online education. And now there's this whole focus, all the in-person courses were canceled. And now there's this focus on online education. And so courses that I wasn't planning on teaching were now uh, holding more online courses. So I'm doing more teaching. Yet for me, the difficulty today has not been so much teaching more courses. I enjoy that part. That part's fine. It's been developing new faculty that are not teaching in-person courses. So now they're going to be teaching online courses. It's been getting them to a state of comfort with the material and the online <laughs> platform and orienting them. And so in that sense, at, at my own micro level of faculty development, my, I feel like my workload has just quadrupled because of 
helping faculty get to converting uh, to online and faculty are right they're doing all that work at home where they may have small children who need yep. attention and we have faculty who tell me they're doing all of their work after 8 p.m because they have to over there they've become the child care that they used to outsource or we have faculty members who um, one who I, I know of whose father died as a result of the virus. And so mm. there's the whole mourning and uh, you know, family grieving that goes with that and having to like quickly focus back on the students. It's just a, a very um, chaotic time for a lot of us. And then because we're in health professions education, many of our faculty have been pressed, have been or chose to be pressed into service. Uh, responding in the hospitals, on the yeah. hotlines, in different different ways. One interesting thing from, um, you know, the, the teaching level is um, what I've come to find during this pandemic is the classwork and the classes, the synchronous time that I've been holding online uh, with my students has been therapeutic, almost like a distraction from the real world. And it's been therapeutic for me too. Mm. Um, and I, I'm seeing that my the uh, adherence rate of uh, online, you know, because we give them material to do before coming to class and the adherence rate is like sky high. They're watching everything and doing all of the homework, <laughs> <laughs> which is like unprecedented. And uh, and I think it's because it serves as uh, therapeutic in this time because um, most of the students I teach are practicing providers and a lot of them are frontliners. Um, so I wonder, so, so I, I, I'm kind of liking this discussion because I'm seeing it visually as, you know, talking about the implications that this pandemic has had on, on this kind of micro level of educators and people that are doing faculty development and then this meso level of leaders at educational institutions and then, of course, the macro level of um, accreditation organizations and what's going on with the world. And I would love to know, Peter, at the meso level, um, how are you taking pause and, and, you know, how do you find therapy in your day? Not, not enough. Uh, we did an online shorts rounds this week, which is something that our, our students participate in uh, throughout the semester. And they devoted this session uh, to giving thanks and mindfulness. And we had a faculty member from occupational therapy lead a gratitude session and it really was very uh, fulfilling, very gratifying to connect with others on Zoom. But luckily this faculty member had remembered to take her meditation bell from her office when she started quarantining at home. And to, it was also nice to appreciate it. She didn't ask us to do anything. <laughs> she said, I'll do the talking, or you can use the chat box if you want, or think about the questions I'm asking. Just be present. And uh, we have uh, town hall meetings, both for students and for faculty and staff. And then within my own group, uh, regular Zoom meetings with, with faculty and staff in, in our units, just to check in, mm -hmm. to offer consolation, commiseration, common wisdom uh, for challenges that people are facing, and to let them know one thing that's very reassuring at our institute, Janice, is that we have let uh, we have not 
had any furloughs. Mm -hmm. We have not had to cut pay. Mm -hmm. We have not had to make any difficult financial decisions. Or mm -hmm. I should say, we've made the difficult financial decisions to keep uh, everyone whole. Mm -hmm. And uh, we hope to continue that as long as we can. So that gives me a little bit of comfort in working with faculty and staff, knowing that we're, we're able to support them. Because uh, that would be a true worry if we were putting people in financial risk through some of the administrative conversations we have. Mm -hmm. I, I, I do enjoy watching all the different groups come together in, in a, you know, in healthcare, in the hospitals, we, we talk about repurposing of employees where they're doing other job assignments that they wouldn't typically do. And I feel like at the university setting, it's the same in that, you know, some people are being repurposed to think more strategically or to care for if, for example, our students, we worry a lot about our students and, you know, many people had to find um, housing <laughs> the university closed and, um, and just having faculty dedicated to, you know, pulling together to figure out where are the needs, what are the things we have to worry about that we should be worrying about, identifying that, and then working together to tackle some of the problems. Yeah, I must say we're benefiting from the winter of 2015, when at least in the New England area, there was so much snow, and mm -hmm. it seemed to all fall on Mondays and Wednesdays. So faculty who taught those classes missed multiple, multiple class sessions because of unsafe weather conditions. And there was a similar scramble, not as uh, prolonged, but we realized we couldn't shut down the Institute uh, and not provide for the continuity of education. So we created a, a snow guide, which was sort of cobbled together in the moment and then later got, got codified. And every November, we send it out to our faculty saying, you're starting to think about the classes that begin in January, be sure to plan with weather emergencies in mind where your course may have to shift to online, uh, where you wanna be sure that you have all your materials in the cloud or in the learning management system, should you not be able to get to the office. And so we had some of those backup plans already on the website, already in people's consciousness. And it doesn't mean we thought of everything because this is an unusual crisis, but we weren't starting from nothing. And we had all those primed faculty ready to think about alternatives uh, to their normal practice. So I love that you're mentioning that because I know that after this, we're going to have <laughs> um, lots of readiness and considerations for faculty to consider as they start teaching in general and probably yeah. adds to the snow the snow guide. <laughs> <laughs> and isn't it funny that those of us who live in New England, we had almost no snow this year. <laughs> I don't think we had to close campus once <laughs> or not, not at least a full day for weather related. Yeah. But I, I know our colleagues who study the effects of climate change and health would say there's probably a link to that. But as we're seeing less snow, we're also seeing encroachment on areas that have been previously wild and are now bringing humans and animals into contact and allowing mm. for the transmission of viruses. Mm. So this is maybe something that as the, the weather uh, becomes more moderate, the risk 
for these uh, in infections can become greater? Ah, that's a great topic. <laughs> I would love to <laughs> podcast on that one. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Peter. Thanks for everything yeah. that you're doing. Thank you oh. to our MGH Institute leadership. Well, just doing thank that. you. Thank you for listening to our podcast, What's Your Delta? MGH Institute's Three Tips for Faculty Development. We hope you come back and listen to our future podcasts with your hosts, Janice Palaganis and Peter Kahn of the MGH Institute of Health Professions.